Hello and welcome to episode 47 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee with a lingering cold. I am going to do a short intro on this interview with Brian Fisher, one of my favorite beekeepers and North Carolina master beekeeper that I have learned so much from, from taking classes with him and from listening to his presentations at state conferences. So without further ado, I want to give you the interview with Brian Fisher. We did have some buzz on the cell phone line, so please look over that and enjoy. So today on the phone with me, I have a very special person, someone I admire greatly and have learned a lot from. Brian Fisher is a fourth generation beekeeper here in North Carolina. He's also a North Carolina master beekeeper. And where I first ran into Brian was at a conference and he was teaching a class on summer splits, which totally uh, was a gift to my entire practice and really changed how I uh, do things. So, Brian, hello. Hello. How are you? I am so glad to get you on the line. You're a busy man and hard to get a hold of. Yep, I am. But I'm glad glad you could. Glad to be able to be here. Well, so tell us about um, what does your beekeeping look like in 2019? In 2019... Um, it was a good year. Um, came through winter with around 5% loss or so. Um, so I was really happy with that. And the bees did really well. I uh, exploded in populations, I think, as most people's did around the Piedmont area, at least, that I talked to. Um, lots of swarms and, and honey production was really good. So I move. I run somewhere around 100 to 150 colonies. Not all of those are in uh, honey production. Sell some nukes and raise some queens. Um, so some of those are dedicated to bee-producing bee bees rather than making honey. Um, and with my honey production bees, I had bees in five counties um, this summer at different times chasing flowers. So made lots of honey. It was a very good year. So. That sounds wonderful. You get busier and busier every time I, I hear from that. <laughs> well, um, would you consider yourself a sideliner or a commercial? Or, um, I still well, I used to consider myself a sideliner, but now I have um, I I see myself becoming more commercial. But I still consider now I consider myself more of a hobbyist. So strangely enough, um, I, and you know, I guess at some point I have to bridge that gap, but I still have a full-time job. Um, so bees are basically my second full-time job throughout the season. I have some really generous helpers that help me, but, you know, I guess most people would consider me a sideliner. Um, I don't do a whole lot of pollinating or anything. I do some small farms locally. Uh, most of what I do is in bee cells and honey production. So, well, it sounds like a lot of, a lot of bees to me on, on one of the presentations that I attended, you talked about when you started with bees and it basically just was like you got some bees, killed them, got some bees, killed them, got some bees, killed them. <laughs> so talk about how how you started out and what turned the corner for you. And So that's right. I um, Well, I, the first time I, I was living in an apartment and very interested in sustainable agriculture, and this was probably 15, 18 years ago. 18 or 20 years ago and was really interested in gaining an interest in sustainable agriculture. And, um, then my dad had a friend who was a beekeeper. Um, my, my great grandfather had been a beekeeper. My grandfather had been a beekeeper, but my grandfather lost all his bees in the early eighties before I was born. Um, and my dad had helped both of them some in his younger days. And he had a friend that was a beekeeper that was trying to get him started. And I was encouraging it. I was living in an apartment at the time, and I couldn't have bees there. So um, one day I came to his house, and there were some beehives there. And I got really excited and come to find out now that I know what was going on. Her bees were getting robbed out, so she needed a place to move her weaker colonies to. So she moved them to my dad's house. Uh, went down there and worked them um, with her one day when she was there and was really amazed at what was going on and encouraged my dad to get a package so he got a package the following year and installed it and it did okay made a little bit of honey we extracted honey because we were so excited um and they died over winter meanwhile i moved out of my apartment and got you know a, a small house 
so I, with a yard, so I was able to get some bees and, and got some uh, bees the next spring, a package, and killed it. And then the following year, um, I think I got a package to go through winter. And, you know, somewhere in my journals, when I used to take, you know, good notes and write and journal entries and stuff, I have a note from, I believe, around 2008 that I had, you know, like six or eight colonies in my yard and, and my apiary was complete. And I was happy where I was at, but um, something about these bees, <laughs> you know, something, something about them. Um, I, you know, I split and caught swarms and and um, started raising queens and just found that really interesting and took the first born and bred class in 2010 and that really inspired me to start, you know, focusing on localized genetics and and healthy healthier bees. Um, and I, I suffered losses just like everybody for uh, well and I still do um for a long time and I guess about four or five years ago um I kind of changed some of my my beekeeping um prior to that I, I have been trained in you know over 100 hours of biodynamic beekeeping and and went through a sustainable biodynamic beekeeping course and and was trying to keep my bees naturally and, and not treat for a long time and losing you know 100 you know 60 to 100 percent of my colonies consistently and then as my operation grew um so did the cost involved so it you know came i started treating my bees with with semi-poor results and throughout the years have changed my treatment strategies and, and what chemicals i use and when i apply them and how i apply them and um i've had really good results the past several years and you know my bees have been really healthy and things have worked out really well so I've watched you um, on on online, and I noticed that one of the things I really envy about uh, people who get as many hives going as as you have is it's like everything is consistent. You know, you'll sh- see a yard, and everybody has the same tops, and everybody has the same. You know, it, um, it's not the hodgepodge where every single hive is somehow set up slightly different. That in my yard, I'm I'm still aspiring to uh, more consistency. So, well, um, go ahead. As am I. I mean, that's, you know, some, yeah, some of it is a hodgepodge, but that's, you know, that's what growing pains, <laughs> you know? So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, and I, I'm, I'm still, I run typically, um, most of my colonies are deeps and mediums, uh, because I run medium mating nukes. So when I need to stock mating nukes, it's just easier if I have frames of, of bees in all stages on medium frames. And I do have some deeps, double deeps and um, deeps and shallows, which I'm trying to phase out and actually trying to move back to double deeps um, here in the next couple of years. So um, that's, I understand the hodgepodge thing and it gets frustrating, especially having shallow and medium honey supers in the honey house. It's a nightmare. Right. Yes. Uh, and notice <laughs> you've got some kind of um, of cool board that you use for a an outer cover. I thought I saw that in the picture. It's like it looks like some unusual looking plywood. Oh, for my tops. Yeah. I use Advan I use so I currently am using Advanatech for Advanatech subflooring, which is available at hardware stores for my tops. It's super inexpensive and super durable. I have some that I've made I think three years ago now that are unpainted and they're still just doing fine. It basically looks like particle board. Um it's around $30 a sheet, depending on where you get it from, and you can make 10 tops out of it. So it's super affordable, and I put a 3 eighths of an inch spacer um, around on the inside to give a little bit of space on top for uh, movement of the bees across the top frames, or if I wanted to put some supplemental pollen patties or something like that in there, um, it gives me a little room on top. Um, but they're, you know, cut like a migratory top. In other words, they're the same size as, the, as my hives. I think I'm going to so try I, that because I've 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 got a few migratory tops and I just love them because I love to be able to, um, like in the winter to slide the hives right up next to each other and um, the outer covers just the telescoping covers just mess that up so I love that I might take take you up on that, right and it makes it you know to 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 it makes it up uh, or excuse me makes it um, a lot easier if you're moving bees because you can slide the hives you know right up next to each other and strap. Um, the whole row down rather than each individual hive if your bottom boards are nailed on, of course. But uh, 
it's and yeah, and I'm a fan of sliding them together in the wintertime and started using the migratory style tops in my nuke yards because I overwinter a good many nukes, sometimes just, you know, single story five frame nukes in deep and medium. And it's really nice to be able to slide that whole row together and share some heat where you can. So, so in your, you're close to Charlotte, North Carolina. All right. Can y'all overwinter, um, a five frame nuke outdoors? Well, it depends, it depends on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I don't really recommend it for a first year beginner beekeeper. Um, and it's difficult So the answer is yes and no. If you're going to try and set it out there and forget about it all winter, then definitely not, I would say. Um, I go out and check mine. If I have to add honey frames on warmer days, you know, we get plenty of 70-degree days here. Um, So if I have some extra honey frames in a a colony, I can switch over. Um, I'm a big fan of putting sugar bricks or fondant, something like that, right over my clusters when I'm overwintering in smaller colonies like a single deep or a five frame nuke or something like that um so if you're not willing to put in the time and effort and you know making fondant or purchasing it or something like that then i would say not um but i know several people that are really successful at it and i find when i overwinter colonies in small boxes like that they catch up to a double deep you know with no problem in the spring it's it's you know you don't even know a difference by the middle or end of march that's what I find, too. I absolutely love the way they come out of um, winter. I have sugar bricks drying in my kitchen this exact moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and let me ask you this, because in, in, um, in some of your presentations, because uh, I looked back um, on, on YouTube, uh, it's, it, you were definitely, um, r- I mean, raising your own queens, and then I took a queen-rearing class from you. And then another presentation I thought, I heard you say that you were using mostly mated queens now. So, so what's your status on, are you raising your own queens or have you found a um, breeder that you like? Um, so I buy queens every, well, I purchase queens when I have to, if I ever get in a pinch. Um, if somebody comes along and says they have some queens, um, they're good. I'll try them. Um, you know, I have a few people that I'll buy from specifically, and I buy typically um, more than queens. I buy queen cells um, to just make sure that I'm not getting in a you know g- genetic bottleneck with my breeding program. That said, I do still raise quite a few queens um, on a small scale standard, I guess, uh, a few hundred a year maybe. Um, but I like to play around with other bees too, you know. Um, so I do a little bit of both and. Um, I, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I, I hear a lot of negativity with bees from Georgia and bees from, you know, package producing states, I'll say, um, whether it be Southern California, Georgia, Texas, or whatever. And I'll agree that there's a, a tremendous amount of bad bees sold um, everywhere, including North Carolina, um, from queen producers. Um, but I think a lot of the queen producers get the the bad end of it because a lot of these people that are talking these bad things you know they they probably would have killed the best bees if they had them you know I mean this is beekeeping is very hard beekeeping is very hard and I you know I think a lot the queen is the easiest thing to blame it on in the colony right I got this bad queen from this guy so um I you know I buy I buy queens from several different people and Try not to, but I do occasionally. Um, but I do raise a fair amount as well when I have time. That whole schedule thing with queens kind of messes me up working full time sometimes. Oh yes, uh, believe and, me, it is. And trying to have a life too. Oh, that little right. yeah, that little life. I was wondering how you fit that in with the two full time jobs. <laughs> Well, um, I know I'm one of those people that picks on Georgia, not because of anything. It's just that, uh, you know, so many times it seems like. Um, people treat bees kind of like a disposable thing. It's like, oh, well, it's okay if I just let them die because I can just buy another package, you know, from down south next year. So I do fuss a lot about um, package bees and really try to push people to uh, have a goal of being sustainable in their own yard, you know, in terms of just their own bees. Right. And I definitely, you know, I definitely encourage that. Like I said earlier, I took the 
born and bred class in, in 2010, and that really opened my eyes to a lot of the possibilities. And I won't, you know, lay the claim that, that just because you're buying North Carolina bees, they're any better than anywhere else's. But some people, and all over, you know, there's people that are really focused on doing the right thing and, and breeding from their best bees and, and eliminating their worst. And I still do that, you know. Um, now, I, now, I used to do a lot of hygienic testing and um, mite drops and mite counts where I don't have a lot of time for that right now. Maybe if I had an intern or something, you know. But um, I don't really have enough time to keep up with everything I have going on and do all of that at this point. But hopefully in the future, I plan to start doing some, like, liquid nitrogen tests and stuff and getting back on that. Um, right now, most of my breeding of my queens is just visual um, you know, upon inspection, inspections of my colonies, uh, visual observations and whatnot. Right, right. Well, that, um, that brings me to the next thing. So, um, on that topic, you, on one of your classes, you taught me the technique, which again, really, um, just up leveled things in my yard at what you call the walk back to it split. And I wondered if you would uh, explain that to people because, like, a lot of the listeners, maybe they are overwintering their bees for the first time this year. And so if they are lucky and and they did everything right and they're lucky at the same time (laughs) and their bees come out on the other side um, and they're going to be, you know, thinking of doing splits. So can you talk about some of the things that a, um, I guess it would be a second year beginner will be looking at in the next several months, um, both swarm prevention and also maybe doing some splits? Sure. Um, so depending on where you're located at and within the state or country, and depending on what the status of your bees are um, at that given point from now until spring, wherever, you know, whenever that occurs, wherever you're at, um, you can anticipate hopefully your bees overwinter and live good. And if they do, and you have a very large cluster, what appears to be a healthy, robust colony, um, upon you know approaching your last frost date would be a good general time frame. Um, then you should anticipate your bees will swarm. Now, if you have a very small cluster that struggled that you've had to keep fun that right on the cluster and you've baby babied them along all season or all winter, then maybe they won't go to swarm as fast as a healthy colony. So we'll talk about, you know, mainly healthy colonies first. Um, and what you would anticipate is in the spring, uh, red maples are your first pollen source. So what you should do as a beginner beekeeper is go out and identify what a red maple tree or maple trees look like. And their flowers are kind of not very showy. They're not flashy. So pay attention to their buds. And when you see some starting to open, I know here around the Charlotte area, yearly I'll see red maples blooming in December um, in the city that are protected. But typically our red maples will start around January. And that's just an indicator species um, of when, and that's the first pollen plant and nectar plant that the bees have. So if you have a really strong, healthy colony, I've seen bees produce, you know, honey on the red maple flow if we have warm weather. Now, obviously, if you're in the mountains, you're going to be behind us Piedmont and the coast by several weeks, and it may be too cold for your bees to forage on it. But the coastal folks and the Piedmont folks, um, typically it, it can be warm enough for a week or two stretch where our bees can really build up on that red maple flow. So if you have bees that are doing that and doing really well, and I hate to put a calendar month when I'm talking about beekeeping um, because it's it's almost impossible to keep bees by calendar. You have to keep bees by when the bees are ready for what they need. And, and how um, I think I've been so successful through with my beekeeping is with anticipation and action. And that's something that comes with experience. So it's difficult as a beginner, because I can't tell you, and in January, your red maples are going to bloom in February, you know, your bees are going to build up and you're going to need a split in March. Um, But as they do build up, you have to be um, present and pay attention to them. And as they start building up and adding frames and frames of brood, then 
you're probably going to want to consider splitting your bees because if they swarm, you know, up to 70, 75% of those bees will leave with the old queen and you're going to lose your honey production. So you can split them um, before they do that a couple of ways to hopefully maintain a good, strong colony that will still make you some honey and um, have a second colony going uh, if you so desire. And if you don't want a second colony, you can sell it or do whatever. So if your bees are building up off the flow and they start raising queen cells, um, then that is certainly a sign that they are going to swarm. So if I see bees in the spring that have um, active queen cells in them, not just a polished cup that will be on the bottom of the frame, but an active queen cell, which is if you turn it up um, and get the sun shining down in it, if it has any royal jelly at all in there, then that is an active queen cell or an egg, if you can spot an egg in there. Um, but lots of beginners have difficult time spotting eggs, so that royal jelly is a telltale sign. Um, and in that case, often I will then go through that colony and try and locate my old queen. Um, hopefully she's marked. That will make it much easier, especially for a beginner. So once I locate my old queen, I would then remove a frame of sealed brood, cap brood, and a frame of open brood, um, maybe two cap brood, depending on how many were in the parent colony, and then a frame of honey and pollen and put it into a nuke box or a 10-frame box, um, whatever you have. And preferably move those two miles away so that would be the old queen with basically two or three frames of brood and um, a honey frame now with more experience i would even reduce that down to one or two frames of brood um, with plenty of bees but for a beginner i would say stick with three frames of brood just to ensure you have enough bees in that box um, and the reason i say that i can with experience cut down on those frames of brood as long as there's bees in there is because the, that nuke that split that you just made that you moved two miles away to make sure the bees don't return to the parent colony uh, they have the entire season to build you have the entire season to feed them um, and grow <clears throat> into a full-size colony so now we're back to the parent colony you've taken a few frames of brood and the queen, which is really important, and a frame of honey out. So you'll need to replace those frames with foundation or pooled comb if you have it. If you have pooled comb, it's even better. It's just a jump start for the bees. If not, um, checkerboard and foundation between the, the combs that have already been built. If it's really early in the year, I would avoid putting them between brood combs because you may get a cool night <clears throat> really early. <clears throat> excuse me so at that point you have your box populated with 20 frames or 30 frames if you're using you know a, a triple medium or whatever um you have replaced the frames that you removed for the split and you have the started queen cells in there it's really important to leave two of those queen cells um and what will happen is those bees will finish building them out and Hopefully, if everything goes right, uh, at least one of those queens will emerge. If both of them emerge, they'll fight. Hopefully, one of them will win, go out, mate, and come back. Now, one thing that is really important is you go through that colony and inspect every frame and make sure to only leave two of them because if you leave a bunch of them, then they can just cast swarms of virgin queens it will just be like after swarm after after swarm after after swarm um, which was a real big problem this past year with a lot of people in my area um, just be swarming down to nothing so if you leave two queen cells you kind of leave a little room for natural selection and room for human error if you damaged one in some way um, during your inspection so at that point I would close up that colony and you have a new queen on the way um, you also have broken that colony's brood cycle because you've taken away the queen that was laying eggs and it's going to take that new queen a little time to emerge out, go on her mating flight, come back and start laying eggs. And with that break in brood cycle, you've also broken the royal mites life cycle. Now, worst case scenario, 
is that something happens to that queen. Maybe she doesn't develop all the way uh, either one of those queen cells that you've left in there, or maybe one develops perfectly and emerges out in a blue jay, blue jay or a you know a crow snags her while she's out taking her mating flight. Well, you have that other colony that you moved two miles away, so let it sit for a week or two and bring it back you know, to your primary location, if you so desire. Um, but you have that as a resource. So if something bad happens with the split, um, that is you're attempting to get queen right via raising a natural queen, um, you know, if something happens to that, then you can combine it. But if nothing happens to that, and that colony, like I said, has broken its brood cycle, the, the parent colony that you split from has a new queen that's broken its brood cycle, and really importantly, if it's a really early swarm, it is also mated with drones from colonies that are also equally as strong very early in the year. So a really small, weak colony that struggled all winter will not swarm really early, um, nor will it produce drones really early. So the benefit of those early swarm queens in particular, uh, in my experience, are some of the best queens you can raise, kind of, um, because they are going to mate with other really good colonies that have an abundance of drones. One thing you can also do, um, if you get in there a little late and you have capped queen cells in that colony when you go into it in early spring, um, kind of depends on if you can find the queen or not. So if I go into a colony in early spring and I'm able to find the queen in there and it has capped queen cells, then I'll certainly take that queen out and do just as I explained. Take out the queen and a frame or two of brood or three, put it in a nuke box and move them two miles away. Um, basically, whenever we do this, um, it's called a, a false swarm. Um, essentially, those bees in that parent colony then think they have swarmed. Their queen is gone, some of their bees are gone, they don't have as much congestion in the brood nest anymore, so they think they've swarmed. But the beekeeper has done that. So, again, if we are in the colony and we find capped queen cells, a lot of times you won't find the queen in there um, if you find capped queen cells for a couple of reasons. One may be that they've stopped feeding her in preparation for her to swarm, and, and she'll shrink down and look much like a virgin queen will at that time. So very difficult to find, and she moves on the frame a lot different whenever she shrinks down like that. She can run about a lot, a lot better. Um, so... That may be the case, or those bees may have already swarmed. Now, oftentimes when a hive swarms, you won't notice a decrease in population just to look at it because there are so many bees in there already and there's so many bees emerging every day. Um, so, you know, you pop the top and you say, oh, well, they look just as strong as they did yesterday. Well, that means nothing. So if you find kept queen cells and you don't find the queen, um, then you need to make sure you leave one or two capped queen cells in there. I always leave two um, just, you know, for natural selection and in case I've damaged one in any way. But oftentimes in this colony that's really strong, healthy, and prolific, coming out of spring, it's not going to just have one or two capped queen cells or uncapped queen cells in it. It can have 25 or 30. I just love so, that. I'm so greedy. That's where the, to, I, I tell people just to ask for a queen castle for Christmas this year so they can be ready for that. Right, right. So that's exactly where I'm going. So when you find that colony that's super healthy and robust and is just loaded with queens and it's very early and you know that you can um, take a few frames of brood out of there and make that split, um, then then you can also harvest those capped queen cells. Um, so you don't want to take too many resources from that colony, but you could get a queen castle, which is a typically, you know, a divided, a deep or a medium divided into individual compartments that hold two or three frames, and they have their own entrance and on top. So it's basically like a, a, a box that's just divided into several smaller uh, nucleus colonies, essentially. So you can take those capped queen cells, um, of course, like I said, you leave two, but you can take those capped queen cells and very gently cut them out. Um, you want to cut a size, you know, maybe a half dollar or a silver dollar size around that that queen cell in the comb, so you make sure not to damage that larva in there or that pupa at this point. So, 
and then you can take that and basically just press it in some nice white wax on another frame um, right right around some open brood so you know the bees are going to maintain the temperature well so then you can take this one colony that may produce like we talked about you know 20 or 30 queen cells and you remove the queen if you're lucky enough to find her and make a split with that but then you can make you know three or four or five more splits with it um, depending on the resources that colony one thing you can also do is go into another colony and find frames of bees and brood and take queen cells from that really strong prolific colony and attach queen cells from it to other frames of bees and put those in your queen castle just make sure the queen is not on there and you don't you know you never want to transfer your queen out of a colony unless you're doing so intentionally um so that's kind of how my splits will start my season because by doing that i'm equalizing out my colonies um trying to help well i'm i'm helping my colonies that may swarm i'm trying to prevent that so <clears throat> leading up to that i will switch brood frames uh, around amongst colonies and oftentimes in the spring you know i just move the frame with the bees on the open brood from you know stronger colonies to weaker colonies that way they get a pretty good boost um in population immediately of course make sure the the queen's not on there i try and equalize out my colonies as much as possible going into spring um, but you're always going to have some really strong ones and some weak ones and your strong ones typically are the ones that want to swarm so um that's kind of how i do um that that process with my swarm prevention and when you put those capped queen cells into those um mating nukes or queen castles whatever you want to call them just let them sit there uh, you can come back and in two weeks or so i wouldn't recommend coming back in in less than a week let them emerge let them walk around on that comb for a little bit but virgin queens to a beginner are very difficult to spot especially if you have very many worker bees in there so if you're not good at spotting queens Maybe go in there and peek at that queen cell and make sure it has a little flap where the queen, you know, chewed her way out of there. But then close it up. Don't smoke it a lot. And then just leave it for three weeks. And hopefully in three weeks, if you come back, you'll have laying queens in there. Um, if not, again, just start combining those back via the newspaper method. And, and you haven't really lost much but a little bit of time. But I think you'll find that if you use really good, mature, capped-over queen cells, and, and put them in there and be very delicate with them. Don't turn them upside down or anything like that. Um, you'll have very good success. You know, 75 to 90% is kind of what I've experienced with, with those. Um, as long as I'm really, really gentle with them. Now, if you're rough with them, your acceptance rate is going to go way down. Um, one thing I want to point out is I never mentioned moving uncapped queen cells because I want to raise extremely high quality Queens and, Extremely healthy, extremely well-populated, well-fed bees raise extremely healthy queens. Now, if you take frames out of a good, strong colony that is attempting to raise queens and move them into a nuke and expect that nuke to finish them, you then no longer have a very healthy, established, well-fed colony. Um, you have a nuke, you know? So always move over cat queen cells um, if you're going to do that. And then... If you're going to, you know, if you want to let those queen cells finish, let your really strong, healthy, robust colony that has lots of resources finish those queen cells um, before you move them. So that kind of gets me through my, my first series of swarm prevention and swarm prevention and splitting. And then moving on, um, and, and now with my experience, when I make early splits, I usually only put a frame of fruit, one frame of food, pollen, you know, pollen, nectar, or honey, and one frame of brood in there, again, because they can build out all year. Um, now, sometimes if it's cold, uh, really cold, I'll put two frames of brood in there with them. But I've had pretty good luck with just one and letting them grow out. Um, and Or maybe one and a half, you know, a mixed frame in there as well. Um, now my rule of thumb is, and I'll say in the Charlotte area, I really, that's usually around April. I will continue to split my bees. Um, the first bees that I really split are my unhealthy bees. Um, 
you know, I've, I've done swarm prevention in the way of splits on my most robust healthy colonies. But the first bees that I intentionally split um, are my weaker bees. So I put, you know, 20 or 30 hives of bees in a yard. And when I go out there and I'm working in April and I'll start putting honey supers on usually around the second week of March where I'm at um, to the first week of April, somewhere in that time frame. And I'm going out there and I've got, you know, 18 out of 25 hives have, you know, a, a two supers on them. The first one's already full of nectar and they're starting to move up into the second one. Well, um, those other seven hives aren't even up in that first super yet. Well, I do this to have healthy bees and to make honey. So those seven hives that are not even up in that first honey super yet are not living up to my expectations. Now, unless there's just some awesome characteristics about those bees that they had last year that I really want to just give them a second chance, then those will be the first bees that I split because, you know, they could be, you know, however far um, behind they are on the other colonies there, they're just not meeting your expectations, whether it's an old queen, whether it's whatever the issue is. So those will actually be the first colonies that I split um, intentionally. And I'm typically raising queen cells that time of year, so I'll just take that colony, find the queen killer, neither, you know, split them depending on how many bees are in there and how many resources brood and, and honey and pollen frames. I may make that one colony into, you know, two splits or three splits, or maybe they don't have that many resources altogether, so I just kill the queen and put a queen cell in there. Um, and those will be my first real splits of the year. And then I will continue... Uh, like I said, that's usually around April, and I'm doing those with, again, one, two, or three frames of brood and a honey frame, and then foundation the rest of the way, or pulled comb if I have it, um, but I typically start most of my splits on foundation, because, again, well, early in the year, I'll start them on foundation, because they have the whole season. I like to save my pulled comb if I make any late season splits, because it's harder for bees to work that foundation and easier for them just to store the nectar. So I will split those bees, um, feed them, of course, and then let them grow out. Now, if for any reason I want to make more splits throughout the year, a rule of thumb I've come up with in the past couple of years is for every month um, up, I'll add another frame of brood. So if I start in April, I'll add one frame of brood minimum. In May, I'll add two frames of brood minimum. June, I'll add three frames of brood minimum, and by July or August, whenever I, you know, would recommend winding down making splits at the latest September, you want to be putting five full frames into a five-frame box. Now, it doesn't have to be all brood, but at least, you know, three to four frames of brood and a honey frame in there to give them a chance. Um, and as far as getting those bees clean right, at this point, you're not going to have queen cells, so it's no longer swarm management splits you're making. You're just making splits for increases or to sell. Um, I'll either purchase queens. Queen, ultimately, I would prefer to raise the queens myself, which I do a lot of, again, or purchase queen cells is my second personal favorite option because at least you're getting, um, depending on where you're getting your cells from, if you do some homework, you're probably going to be able to find some good queen cells and then you're mating them locally with your good drones if you have good, healthy stock in your area. Um, and then thirdly, find a reputable queen supplier and purchase queens from them and drop in queens. Now um, I'm going to ask you here, Brian, are there any names you want to drop? Because there's quite a few listeners in the Charlotte area. Um, I, as far as finding local, I don't, you know, I will just let folks find I don't I hate to not give out names but I also hate to think people I don't you know want yeah. people to get upset with me because I didn't name them or whatever and I'm not trying to have a commercial for myself because I typically um my queens are sold as fast as I can produce them you know quite often and I don't ship so um but there are good folks raising queens around the you know just talk at your bee clubs and talk to your members and even you know ask them where if they're not local where they're getting them from if they're having good luck with them. Um, you know, the problem with queen cells is, I will say, if you're getting them shipped, oftentimes you have to get 50 or more to get them shipped to you. So that's kind of a pain sometimes. Now, are um, you selling nukes this coming um, spring? I am. 
You are. And so um, hopefully I will put your information in the show notes. If Are you sold out already? Definitely not. Okay. Um, okay. I will have, yeah, I have plenty. So, and yeah, they're $175 a piece. So great. Um, and I do, and I, again, I re, I resell some nukes too. I don't want to give people the impression that I don't, but they are overwintered in the overwintered in South Carolina. They're not from Georgia. They're not from, you know, all these states that have bad reputations and they're from a personal friend who um, has a reputation for raising amazing quality bees. I also raise my own queens and sell my own nukes off of my bees as well as resell some. So like, I think that I don't want to give anybody the, you know, the wrong impression. Um, so just wanted to say that. So, um, but I do plan to have some for sale. And Great. I, I have a feeling that some listeners will be calling you up because I know that people, <laughs> right? people are already starting to rattle around, you know, when they're starting. And uh, and then probably right after B school, everybody will be calling you. <laughs> well, let me right. ask you, that's one of the things I just wanted to go back to what you were saying about um, – I love how you're talking about, you know, getting ahead of them uh, swarming because I see a lot of beginners kind of with the whole idea of um, of the Tom Seeley Darwinian beekeeping about maybe I should just let them swarm. And so I'm trying to infect them with bee greed <laughs> where they're like, yeah, you, you could let them swarm and break the brood cycle naturally, but you also could do the beekeeper swarm and then either keep your bees or if you don't want that many, provide them to all the people that are looking for bees in the spring. Right. So, and that's, you know, um, how I always end my, my split talk, you know, and, and you asked me about walk, walk back to it splits and I haven't forgot about that. Um, was, was almost, or I should have mentioned it. Um, and we'll get back to that, uh, hopefully, but I always end my splits talk with, you know, if you're a listener and at one of my talks or here, um, this evening or, whenever and and you're thinking well i don't want to split my bees you know I, i've got enough bees i've got 10 hives and i don't want i wanted five you know and i caught some swarms well take a look around okay um take a look around at your local beekeeping organization and take a look around at the state meetings that you should be attending if you're not um and see how many youngsters are there and you it's discouraging so no matter how bees, how many bees you have, um, you know, and if they need to be split, split your bees and give them to a youngster. And if, you know, um, if you have to split a couple of hives of bees and in North Carolina, you can sell up to 10 hives legally without being inspected. I do encourage you, if you are going to be selling bees to get inspected, to make sure that you're selling healthy bees, um, but you can sell up to 10 hives legally without being inspected. So maybe you could sell five splits that you've made um, for, I just said, you know, my 150, $175, $200 a piece, whatever the market in your area will bear. And then you can buy a youngster an entire hive to put his nuke in and a smoker in a bee suit and pay his yearly dues for a local association um, or his or hers, um, theirs. So, you know, I really try and encourage people to split their bees, whether they think they need to or not. The other side of that is, um, especially for people who elect not to treat, which, I, that you know, that's fine um, if that's the way you want to um, manage your colonies, but there's higher losses involved with that. So anticipate those losses. Um, just because you have three or five or ten hives now, if you don't plan on doing anything to keep them healthy, throughout winter, then you may be one of those 40 to 60, 80% lost people. You may need those splits next year. So I do encourage people to split um, for multiple reasons. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's one of those skills that once people feel comfortable with it, not only is it exciting, I mean, the first time you open up a mating nuke and there is your first mated queen, to me, there is just nothing like that. I mean, that is my favorite thing to this day to go and check uh, well, and see yeah, no, I was about to say, not even your first one. I still get excited. Oh, me too, <laughs> you know, like, every time. I mean, that's my favorite thing. I'm like, I'm going out to check the nukes. You know, I'm like, don't bother me. I'm not going to answer my phone. I'm going out to look at the the new the new baby girls. So, yeah. 
and it's even more exciting, you know, like if you have the queen castles or something and you're like, well, the first one has one, yes. The second one has one, yes. The third one, you know, you start getting multiple ones in a row and it's it's very exciting. And, you know, especially when I think there's, with those swarm queens especially, there's obvious differences, you know, really quickly with the brood patterns and, you know, maybe maybe not so much with the temperament of the bees because you don't know what they're mating with, but it always seems as long as they have a good drone population to mate with, there you just get unreal brood patterns with those queens you do that with. Yes, and it's also, um, I mean, to me, there's there, there's so much learning. Even if a person wants to stay steady, uh, one of my good friends who really is trying to stay steady at four, four or five, um, I'm, I'm like, good luck. Yeah, my last number that I speak about was eight, and so now we just don't discuss it with my spouse. How many um, are actually out there? But uh, it, she uh, last well, 2019 for the first time took the plunge of um, doing some splits, getting some mated queen back, queens back, and selling to other members of the club. And she said to me afterwards, because I pushed her into all this, <laughs> Deborah, I hope you're listening, um, that that was just that feeling of providing bees for somebody else in the club who really wanted bees and couldn't find any um, was just a leap in her bee- beekeeping. And also what you were saying about the queen pattern I mean that has been fascinating because when you when you have um you know 10 mating newts lined up side by side and they all started from the same amount of brood then the differences in the queens really start to jump out in a way that if um you know with different hives of different sizes it might not be so obvious but when they when they've started the same time they were mated the same week then um, you know a few weeks later you can look at all ten and easily tell um, who who the best three in the batch are. Right. Yeah. And absolutely. And it's yeah. It's always always fun. You know when you start seeing those eggs. So besides um, kind of splitting and making more bees for the newer beekeepers, what would you say? Like if you were going back and uh, young Brian starting all over again. <laughs> What would be some of the skills that you would focus on early in your beekeeping practice? Realizing, well, you know, I think it's super important for everybody to just understand how bees work. Understand what a queen right, healthy, robust colony looks like. And then, you know, just understand you have to understand that before you can understand what's going wrong because you can't, you know, it's hard for the first year. I think we were dealt bad hands. You know, we, we did buy a bad package of bees um, for the first few years we started. So I think we were looking at bad bees, really poor brood patterns, um, you know, bees that couldn't tolerate anything. They would flare up with European fowl brood and it wouldn't stick out to us, you know, because it was kind of the norm. Um, or K-wing from, you know, rural mites and um, form wing virus or what have you. Um, so I think that seeing and observing really healthy colonies and understanding what that looks like is so important because then the second you see something going wrong, and I'll say, the you know, nine times out of ten, the first thing – indicator to me when something is going wrong is when my open brood is discolored you know whether it be mites or viruses or um european fowl brood whatever um you know it's it's just keeping an eye out for the little things like that um and super important you know doing your research and and learning about bees is is tremendously important that this day and age even in the short time that i've been beekeeping i think that there's so much bad information out there um that i find myself even going to bee meetings and and thinking where is this person coming from and how are they here telling other people to do this you know so it makes (laughs) me really grateful and appreciative for people like yourself (laughs) doing these types of things you know like um because there's a lot of bad information and and you see it even at bee clubs you know i'm a member of several bee clubs and and i travel around to different bee organization organizations and and do talks and sit around and listen to their meetings when they have them and you know, sometimes they'll be like, well, well, so-and-so over there, what did you do? And 
they'll tell them, and what they don't tell them is so and so had 100% losses for the past three years in a row. Like, do you want? Do you really want to be? You know what I mean? Like, maybe you want to do that, but not me personally. So just careful where you get your information, regardless of where you're at. You know, we we all do this with good intent. Go to B meetings and watch YouTube videos and read, um, you know, forums or whatever. But you know, always ask yourself, um, who who is this that is putting this information out there? Are they successful in what they're doing? Do they do it in any type of manner um, like like I would like to do it, or do I just want to learn how how I don't want to do it from them? Um, and where are they? You know, I think that's oftentimes overlooked because you and I live what three hours apart, um, but we're probably three to four weeks behind each other or apart from each other on bees, you know? Um, so that's, uh, the advice that you're giving your mentees in April is probably very different than the advice I'm giving my mentees in April. So it doesn't make us bad beekeepers. It's very localized as well. Um, and, and beekeeping itself is super localized. Absolutely. Um, so. Absolutely. I think that's so true because um, I, learning the timing, even from where I learned in the Ozarks, uh, which is very similar to here, but still there, you know, it's a good three, three to four weeks different. And, and it can vary from year to year, uh, too. There's right. That's the great thing about some of the more experienced people in our bee club you know, can tell you the exact week that usually the basswood blooms. And what's noticeable about that is sometimes it's much earlier or much later, and you, you really get attuned to all that. Well, Brian, I have had so much fun. Um, like the other folks that I've interviewed, I feel like I could just talk for hours and hours about bees with you. And on that, are are you lined up to teach anywhere yet this year, or for 2020? Um, I... I am currently taking, I'm currently booking talks from now until which, so I will, I'm not doing any teaching myself. Um, I'm sure there will be some talks that I will be giving at Honey and the Hive in Weaverville. We don't have the dates worked out yet, um, but I do travel up to two or two and a half hours from the Charlotte area to do bee talks, uh, to bee clubs the month of basically um november through february and then july through you know november i will start doing them again so i don't have my calendar full or in front of me i can't tell you any you know real specific dates of where i'll be but um i do get around to usually around 20 or so be clubs every year in north carolina and do some well, north and south carolina and do some talks well, I'm glad you still have, I don't know how you find the time, but I am glad. And I was hoping you'd say that, that you might be teaching uh, in Weaverville because that's very local. So that's wonderful. Well, thank you so very much, Brian. I appreciate it so much. And thank you, Lee. Thanks for all you do. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I will be doing one more podcast for 2019 and hope to be telling you about some news of things coming in 2020. Have a wonderful day, and thank you so much for joining me.